You're listening to Monday Morning Live, part of the We Love Where You Live podcast series brought to you by the Michigan Municipal League. Uh, Welcome uh, to another edition of Monday Morning Live, the the podcast and and the Facebook feed um, webinar. Uh, This is our our regular conversation that we have with our Lansing team to talk about all the stuff happening in Lansing. Uh, We're in the midst of the lame duck session, so there's lots to talk about today. So we'll get right into it. Um, uh, Last week was a pretty crazy week, but it started off with our um, rolling out our community stabilization plan. On Monday, during a highly successful news conference, we had we had nine members of the media on the call and about 150 of our uh, league supporters and members like you guys watching now were on that call. And uh, so, Chris, talk a little bit about that community stabilization plan, what it called for and what kind of uh, response we're getting so far uh, legislatively. So we we I mean, we obviously have a, a number of issues that as an organization for our members, we're working on this lame duck. But. Three, three items really popped up for us as being our primary focus points um, from a kind of just a, a operational standpoint, as well as looking at December 31st and the need to get a couple of things accomplished before the end of this year. Uh, you know, we, we've obviously had a lot of conversation. Jen will talk a little bit about uh, Open Meetings Act and remote meetings opportunities, uh, but we also have really been trying to highlight the needs that our, our 24 income tax cities have right now and the losses that they're facing uh, as we move into this next tax filing year, uh, whether it's from the the fact that the unemployment benefits are not taxable at the city level, even though the state is taxing those, and also the issue of remote workers and what do we do with such a long period of time where people have been working from home and those non-resident income tax rates, uh, income tax revenues are so important to those cities. We're talking about a a $250 million problem for those 24 cities uh, as we move into April and filing. And then the third issue that we want to talk about uh, with with the legislature here in this lame duck period is the municipal finance issue of Headley and Proposal A interactions and all the problems that we saw post Great Recession and the concern we see as we move into December 31st as tax day and the ability for uh, for individuals, especially commercial property owners, uh, office uh, office building uh, landlords and, and small business owners who may have gone out of business and their ability to appeal their property tax values uh, as a result of the impact from COVID. So all those things kind of culminate around December 31st. And so we really tried to highlight those three issues uh, in this lame duck session. And Chris, the Detroit News came out with an editorial Sunday saying, responding to the income tax part of that plan saying, now is not a time to ask people for a tax increase. And that's not what the plan does. I don't know where they got that from, but explain a little bit about what that income tax part actually does. It was an unfortunate way to have that written, and, and I wish that someone from the news had reached out and, and talked with us, because you're right, Matt, there's nothing in this that talks about a tax increase. When we're talking about the remote worker issue, most of those folks have had uh, income taxes withheld, and so we're not asking for an increase, we're just asking that their tax status remain the same as what they would have been expecting to pay before uh, the pandemic hit in March, uh, and only for this pandemic period. The other issues, uh, when we're talking about, um, you know, Open Means Act, obviously there's no tax in that, but when we're talking about Headley and Proposal A, there's actually the opposite of a tax increase there. What we're talking about is just maintaining status quo uh, and the ability to maintain the status quo and not see those drastic drops in value. Or if we do see drops in value, 
to be able to recover from those drops in value in following years. So there's nothing in this that talks about a tax increase, like I said, and it was an unfortunate way that the news wrote that editorial. Yeah, for sure. Um, so uh, legislatively speaking, how are some of these things that we're calling for translating? I know there are some bills, you wrote a huge blog on uh, Friday, I think it was, where you listed all the different bills that we're working on. They, people can find that on Inside 208. Betsy, Betsy will post a link to that blog. But it lists like 40 different bills. Um, and some of those bills are have directly to do with our community stabilization uh, work, correct? Yeah, so with the Open Meetings Act, um, in the House we saw action this week or last week on House Bill 6207. Um, it passed out of committee and um, is sitting on the House floor awaiting a vote. And then we also saw in the Senate um, a bill introduced, um, Senate Bill uh, 10, or so, sorry, uh, 1246 um, by Senator Tice. And both those bills, the House bill and the Senate bill, extend um, that end of the year expiration date out till the end of March. Um, as well as add uh, ordinances as a way to declare a local state of emergency. So we're expecting to see action in um, both chambers on those bills when they return. Okay, you, are you feeling somewhat optimistic about those, Jen? I know things can go twisty-turny, but yeah, uh, what's your um, feeling? It, it, I think we see recognition from leadership in both chambers as well as the administration that this is something uh, COVID-related that needs to get done and needs to be a priority in getting it done. Okay. And Chris, how about for you on the income tax issue? So we are continuing to have conversations with leadership in both chambers uh, and the governor's office. Uh, there are probably a dozen different city income tax bills that are out there already. Uh, and so, you know, just trying to figure out, uh, is there an appetite? Is there a willingness to address this issue before the end of the year? And, and which bill we can work within for it? Um, not looking at increasing in those taxes, but kind of maintaining status quo. When we talked about the Headley Proposal A interactions though, we were able to get that bill introduced. Uh, House Bill 6454 was introduced. And I think uh, Betsy can probably post it. There was a separate blog I posted this last week um, on that piece of legislation. And that specifically gets at the two main issues we've been talking about for a number of years uh, on municipal finance with regard to how, uh, the pop-ups uh, can be actually be a negative in this post-recession world and forcing rollbacks on uh, you know, you know heavily rollbacks on communities, as well as the, you know, providing an additional tool when there's drops in value or less than inflationary growth in value, allowing for heavily roll-ups uh, to the extent that uh, you can get back an inflationary growth rate in your in your revenue stream. So that bill was introduced and we're working hard and you know, encouraging members to contact the House Local Government Committee to get a hearing in that committee. Yeah, and uh, that one uh, on the Headley Proposal A, uh, I think you know that's an issue we've been working on for a long time, resolve the conflicts of those for several years. Why now, why, why are we trying to tackle that particular issue now with, uh, with during COVID? Well, again, I think, you know, going back to my earlier comments about what we see here at the end of this year, we are going to see, you know, tax days, December 31st, we are going to see property owners, uh, and again, maybe not residential because residential markets been doing well, but certainly when we look at the commercial market and what's happening there, I just saw here in, in the Lansing region that uh, 
the owner of the Meridian Mall has declared bankruptcy. So, you know, we're seeing that obviously in, in communities across the state, we're seeing office vacancies, vacancy rates climbing, um, apartment buildings in university towns that are, that are going empty uh, because students aren't back at school. So how long-term is that? And what impact will that have as, as property owners uh, potentially come in in March and, and start appealing, uh, appealing those values? And will we see another drop in values in communities like we saw during the Great Recession? We all know that uh, recessions tend to have a long tail at the local government level, especially when we're so heavily weighted on property taxes. So that's a big concern and being able to address it before those drops in value occur are what we're trying to accomplish. Okay. And one of the key things of all this is, you know, getting our members behind it. I'm going to ask Harrisana and John in a couple of seconds here about how our members have been in Lansing testifying on various issues. But one of the things with our community stabilization plan we're having members do is send letters to their legislators. During last week's conversation, we had about 15, I think, members that had sent letters. And, and since then, where I think we're up over coming up on 60 individual members have sent letters. Um, uh, we still like to see more of those. I'm putting the link right now in the in the chat to, to where you could send those letters. So, so please do that. It's a, it's a really simple action um, center tool that we have where you can just go in. We have a, a letter already written for you. You can change that if you want and, and talk specific about issues facing your local community, or you can just send it on how it is. That's uh, a very simple way to do that. We would encourage you to do that. So let's talk a little bit about John, with John and, and then Harisana about, you did have some members. John, I understand you had some people from Bay City in testifying last week. Can you talk a little bit about that and what that issue was and, and how that makes a difference to have members come and testify on various issues? Yeah, ha happy to, to talk a little specifics and then, you know, some in the general sense too. Um, you know, Bay City, along with a couple of other members uh, that we have, have what's known as as movable bridges. Um, you know, so they either sometimes spin, uh, which is which is a little odd, uh, and most people don't recognize that. But but more predominantly, what you see are movable bridges that that break in the center, lift upwards, and allow boats uh, to to traverse underneath. And so, Bay City actually has four movable bridges within their municipal boundary, two of which are owned by MDOT and two of which are, are owned by the city. Uh, and they are much more expensive than even what your typical you know, bridge over a, a waterway might be simply because of the mechanical function of them, what they have to do and how they have to operate. Uh, over the course of the last couple of years, the state has stepped in with some funds to help with operation, but the maintenance of those far exceeds actually the annual budget of what um, Bay City gets from Act 51 funding. And so there was a piece of legislation that was up this week, actually four pieces of legislation spearheaded by Senator Horn that was up this week that would allow for a public-private partnership to happen uh, for the replacement and operation of these bridges, but done so in a unique way that would allow tolling and only be specific to those bridges. Um, but to get back to your original question, Matt, uh, you know, what's so important here is you know, the involvement in the activity of Bay City, which has been true on this issue in terms of helping move it forward, but that also pays large dividends when we see this related to other issues and member involvement and things that they can do, uh, just simply by reaching out and talking to legislators and convincing them that there is an issue and a problem and that they can be part of the solution. Uh, so while it was very successful here uh, for Bay City as we start to move this bill through the Senate and hopefully through the House over the next uh, week or two, uh, that same theory and, and practice can be true on many other pieces of legislation that we're working on. And, and we hope that members take the time, as you said, to, to reach out and, and take that action 
uh, and push legislators to, to, to help us with the situations that we're facing locally. Thanks, John. And I should mention, uh, you know, feel free to post your questions here in the chat. Uh, we'll get to them. I see we got one question already uh, that we kind of talked about at the very beginning, which was, what about the Detroit News? There was a Detroit News op-ed and about how we're, we're calling for a tax increase with the income tax issue, and we're not, in fact, calling for a tax increase. Chris talked about that. Um, but I should mention that we are uh, preparing an op-ed and that uh, that'll, it's being drafted as we speak to respond to that editorial. So. Uh, we are very much aware of that and, and working on a response. Uh, Harrisana, you also had some um, members testify. Talk about some of the issues you're working on and what they what they had to say. I always catch myself trying to unmute as always. Um, but yeah, Matt, happy to talk about some action that we saw on bills last week, uh, specifically in House Judiciary Committee. As we mentioned in our last Monday Morning Live, we've been focusing on House Bill 6448, which would allow for exemptions for certain workers in the energy, energy industry to be accept, exempt from the 14-day quarantine required if you have close contact with the individual who is tested positive for COVID-19. So additionally, in committee, we saw the introduction of House Bill 6467, which included language to include employees who work in water and wastewater treatment facilities as well. And we had our members testify with us uh, specifically Oak Park, St. Clair Shores, and Grand Ledge to speak about the issues that they're experiencing in their communities when critical infrastructure workers who perform municipal services are not included in that exemption. So right now, as I mentioned, it's only energy. There is language out there that would also include water and wastewater employees, but we still have road clearing. We still have um, essential emergency services like 911 dispatch and emergency medical technicians that also need to be included. And so again, like John mentioned before, it's really helpful when we have our members able to come to the table and explain the nuances of what's specifically going on in their communities, the services that their residents expect to continue even amid a pandemic in times of crisis. And so we're really happy to have our members come out and share what they've been doing, why these services are important and continuing to affirm to the legislature and the administration that these services must continue and can't be interrupted. And so, the main part of this legislation what we're focusing on is making sure that if somebody is just exposed to someone with COVID-19, that they have the ability to continue their work until they have a positive test. So that means if I, you know, for example, 911 dispatch may have six folks. If one person is exposed to COVID-19, and then that would require everybody else to then quarantine for up to 14 days, which can cause a hindrance on that service happening. So making sure that we're doing things where we're protecting people, but we're also being very cognizant to the barriers that we have when we have critical services that must continue nonetheless in our communities. So after testimony and after committee last week, we were able to have continued conversations with both stakeholders and the administration to include additional language that would be inclusive of all of the public safety services that our communities provide, not just you know emergency services, law enforcement, but also road clearing, um, road clearing, and also wastewater treatment. Sorry, that was so many words. Um, but we're expecting those bills to move through the House this week, and we'll also be looking for amendments to shortly follow in the Senate as well to add include all of those other uh, industries as well. Something else to note too, on Friday, MDHHS released that they will be modifying the quarantine guidelines uh, in accordance with the CDC's recommendation from last week. So we saw that 14 days has usually been the standard for quarantining. We now know after you know, reviewing many, many cases that symptoms may not, if you don't have symptoms after 10 days, you're likely not going to transmit COVID-19. So under the expectation that an individual doesn't have any 
existing symptoms and they do monitor their systems symptoms for the remaining 14 days, that guideline may change down to 10 days. And so that's likely to have an impact too on what we'll see in future legislation, whether it will be um, congruent with what we see in CDC guidelines or if we'll see those numbers specifically change within statute. All right. Well, good. Well, I'm glad to, to see that involvement and, and, and it's so important. Well, another issue that in the past, uh, Jen, that we've had a lot of members come and testify and is the gravel mining issue. And that issue got a, came to a, almost a head last week. It was, it was, uh, there was talks of votes and everything else. And then tell us a little bit about what happened with, with that one and tell us what the issue is real quick, kind of summary, summarize. Yeah. That. So um, Senate Bill 431 um, is a gravel mining preemption in the Zoning Enabling Act that would allow um, any applicant for mining, um, if they can show they're going to um, make money, make a profit, and that they are going to take reasonable steps to avoid um, very serious consequences um, without actually any checks and balances to see if they're actually doing that or uh, what reasonable may de be defined as, you cannot deny them a permit. Um, this is a, a huge slippery slope, especially in the Zoning Enabling Act, especially, you know, for communities who uh, don't have active uh, gravel or sand mining operations. Um, this is something we've been, you know, fighting for uh, this entire session, um, and it almost came to a head uh, in the Senate. Um, they were looking for votes. Um, there was a lot of horse trading going on, trying to flip people on votes. And so talking about the impact that our members have when they reach out, um, I mean, I just have to give big, big kudos to all of you um, who reached out and um, talked to your legislators. Uh, thank you so much, uh, especially those of you that I was messaging, frantically messaging um, in very key districts um, and you reaching out to your legislator, your senator, uh, and letting me know what you were hearing back and um, you, you don't, you know, that is just unmeasurable, the help that that is, especially when we're doing this lame duck home edition uh, this year. So, um, you know, it, it was great. Uh, there's still a possibility that issue could come up uh, this week in the Senate. And so even if you've talked to your senator, if your senator is one of those folks that's kind of on the fence or hasn't given you a I am a no, because if they don't tell you I'm a, I'm a hard no, that means uh, they're probably leaning the other way and you'd continually need to talk to them and touch base with them until we pass the date where this issue runs out of time. Because this, this <laughs> I would say this is one of the issues last week that there were lots of ups and downs um, where we thought you know we were doing well and then all of a sudden we didn't have the votes and, um, so again, this is an issue that's not over. So please keep talking to your senators. If your senator is a solid no, thank them, thank them, and uh, and, and don't <laughs> continue to bother them. But uh, those that are not giving you a solid no, um, continue to talk to them. And a lot of the discussion right now is what's the rush? Everyone is acknowledging that this bill still has some major issues that need to be worked out. And we can do that next year. What's the rush for a vote in lame duck with legislation that's not good policy? Right, yeah, that's that's a really good point. I, I also think that there might be some complacency out there by some that thinking, well, you know, there's a Democratic governor, so a lot of the bills that are proposed by Republicans might get vetoed, but we really can't take that for granted, right? I mean, that's why it's so important to fight it at this entry level. Right, absolutely not. 
we, we cannot, especially we can't give folks um, trying to take an easy vote so that they can say, well, I, I knew the governor was going to veto that. We have no confirmation that the governor is going to veto this bill. Um, well, nor you, do we. As, as you said, Janet, this bill has a Democratic sponsor. Correct. So there is, you know, there is that concern and that potential that there could be bipartisan support for the bill. Yeah. Right. I think the one thing, Matt, the one thing that Jen mentioned that's really important for our members to understand who are tuned in today is you know, we're looking at session this week um, and each chamber has got a little different schedule of how they're, how they're kind of handling their COVID protocols uh, while they still meet. Uh, and then there's the potential still for next week. So, so really, since this bill hasn't moved out of a chamber yet, we need to get through this week uh, to ensure that there's no opportunity for it to pass. Uh, because it has to go through both chambers. So, um, you know, this week is still important to keep up, uh, keep up the pressure on your legislator to be a hard no vote on this. And Chris, uh, you know, a lot of new bills were posted last week. You did a long blog that Bitsy shared at the beginning, the link to it, listing all. Can new bills yet be, be posted or now are we just dealing with everything that has already been or is there still a window where new stuff can come in yet? So I think uh, there's absolutely opportunity for bills that are in the first chamber to move out, uh, there really isn't time for a bill to still be introduced uh, because uh, according to the constitution, every bill has to be in each chamber at least five days. Okay. So right now, uh, as Jen mentioned, we have the two uh, Open Meetings Act bills. Those are both still in the first chamber, but our expectation is they will both move out early this week and then will be available for this, the opposite chamber to move the following week. So again, this is Anything that is still in its first chamber, its originating chamber, still has an opportunity this week. Okay. And, and one of the other bills that, or series of bills that you blogged about, Chris, was on the personal property tax issue or, or PPT issue. Uh, tell us a little bit about what's going on with that topic. As, as members know, and we've talked about it, it seems like we talk about it every lame duck period. Um, every interest group out there is looking to get their, their, uh, project done before the year ends, before the term ends. But we're seeing a couple of those, right? We're seeing a number of those, but certainly on the tax front, we're seeing a couple. Uh, there are a series of bills, two packages that uh, commercial retailers like Meyer are pushing that would fully exempt all of their warehouse distribution equipment and their new equipment they expect to be installing for what they're calling micro-fulfillment or uh, online, uh, for online purchase fulfillment. So, you know, we've been, you know, reiterating over and over the importance of the tax base uh, to local governments and how the continuous efforts by the legislature to cut uh, and by businesses to cut that tax base really hinders local government's ability to deal with problems, uh, you know, let alone the pandemic. We've got now just regular annual increases in costs. Uh, the more we choke off local government's tax base, the harder it is to, to handle those budgetary increases, those normal budgetary increases. So the, we've uh, very strongly opposed, along with the county association, township association, schools. Uh, those bills did move um, out of the Senate. Uh, we expect there to be House action on them. We will be pushing very hard uh, to oppose those bills and urge members to contact their, their uh, state representative to oppose those bills. Uh, the other ones are uh, a series of bills that dealt with um, utility-grade solar equipment. Again, so we talk about personal property tax. And we keep saying, you know, look, we've set up this process uh, with industrial personal property, eligible manufacturing personal property, where local government gets reimbursed. Neither of these proposals provide a true reimbursement to local governments. Uh, and that for us, again, is a huge problem. 
Um, right. The solar one provides for instead of just a straight up exemption, it would create a payment in lieu of tax option. Um, unfortunately, the dollar amounts that they've that they've written in there as the the cap for what you could get in that payment in lieu of tax is about somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 to 15 cents on the dollar, depending on the community you're in. So it's not a really good trade off. Uh, so we've been urging the administration and legislature to hold off on these bills. The state tax commission is doing a report and uh, we expect to see more information. This is something, again, as Jen mentioned, what's the rush? There's yeah. no reason we need to move into this in these last three, four, five days of lame duck session. Let's take some time, let's do it right if it's worth doing. Right, and, and speaking of uh, tax credit re related issues, Jen, I know that you're working on a historic tax credit item. Um, talk a little bit about what that is and uh, what's the latest on it. Yeah, so Senate Bill 54 reinstates the state historic tax credit. Um, the bill that came out of the Senate last week um, has a $5 million cap in it, and there was a $5 million allocation in the budget. Um, and that was done to help with legislators who were worried about the unknowns of fiscal impact. Um, and so like it that was voted on um, just Thursday in the Senate um, is headed over to the House. Um, we're hoping to see it in committee this week and, and that to finish the process. But that is a reinstatement of the state historic tax credit that went away under the Snyder administration. So that's a good one that we're actually supporting. <laughs> that's nice. Yeah. Uh, another one I believe we're supporting has to do with uh, legal notices, Jen, that you're working on. Talk a little bit about that. It was also the result of another, we felt uh, misleading to say it politely, editorial in the Detroit News. Go ahead, talk a little bit about Very that. Very kind of you, Matt. That was, it was a, uh, let's just say bad. <laughs> Okay. untruthful, um, another editorial on a topic, but yeah, uh, public notice reform. And I reached out to a handful of our members of varying sizes across the state um, last week and getting some information on how much they spend annually on public notices um, and average cost of a notice. And so to those of you who responded and everybody responded quickly, with great information, thank you so much. Um, but yeah, there's a public notice reform um, package out there. It's 106 bills. There's one main bill that is allowing locals um, to post public notices on their website if you have a website that meets the parameters of what's in the bill, that you have to post the, the notice on um, your main page, as well as having a notice kind of public a landing page where you keep those notices live and active after the fact. Uh, and you're required to send that notice to the news outlets and um, people that you are already sending it to within 24 hours of posting it. Uh, so the papers can still uh, publish those notices. So individuals who are getting that information through the paper, they can still get it that way. Um, as well as, you know, public notices, the whole reason is to get people information. And we know that more and more individuals are getting their information online. And so this bill is really permissive of locals can do this, still share the information, can still be published in the paper. Um, but when we have communities that are publishing and you know a shopper's guide that no one is looking at or reading or some kind of county publication because they don't have a local news, you know, is that really fulfilling the public notice of notifying people what's going on um, and being able to get it off their website? So we feel that this is an increase in transparency, uh, just like virtual meetings where more individuals are able to tune in 
Um, and so that's something that came up um, for a vote last week. It was taken off the board. Uh, we have done a lot of uh, work last week with some individuals in uh, individual legislators on uh, trying to understand their opposition. And first and foremost, I heard back from legislators of, you know, this is how my seniors get their information. So reassuring them that their seniors could still get the information in that printed uh, publication. But we don't feel it's the responsibility of local government to subsidize uh, this industry just to keep it alive. And Jen, we have a question came in related to this issue is, is what about the ability to send tax bills electronically? Is that something like that included in what you're working No, this is just about public meeting notifications okay. and in ordinance, you know, anything that you're required to uh, publish a public notice on. Um, it's not anything to do with electronic billing. <laughs> One step at a time, Michael. Okay. <laughs> is that something that we're, that's on our, on our radar, something we're working on down the road or? You know, we've been working for a number of years with the state trying to get kind of this one-stop shop portal when it comes to, you know, reporting and notices and things like that. So that process is kind of on its way, but electronic billing, um, I guess I thought some, you could do that. I know I pay some <laughs> of my bills online um, here in the right. municipality I live in. So I thought that was already allowable. Okay. But and we can another... add it to the list if we need to look at some tweaks. Okay, and another question related to that, will communities still be required to publish in newspapers in addition to posting on the web posting? What you'll be required to do is if you have the website and you can publish on your own website, you'd be required through electronic mail. So you'd be required to email that public notice within 24 hours of it going up um, on your website to whatever papers um, are in your area. There's also a requirement of the municipality keeping a list. So if somebody wants you to mail a hard copy of the information, um, you can charge a fee. Annually, they would have to sign up um, to be on your list um, and you would have to send out those notifications um, hard, hard copy. But again, that's on that individual taking a proactive step of signing up and paying whatever the fee is. Otherwise, yes, you would have to email um, or the newspaper could um, request to be on that list to get that email. Um, but if you're publishing on your website, you would not be paying to publish in the newspaper. You would just be required to send that to them um, via email and then they would publish it. Okay. Um... Also, so kind of moving on a couple other issues, we did have some questions come in. Uh, we'll, we'll follow back, back up with some of those if we got more questions coming. But feel free to post your questions in the chat if you have any for us. Uh, and the next one is uh, Harrisana. I know uh, high water level issues is, is something that we've been talking about. And I understand there was some legislation that, that's out there that you're working on. Yeah, so we actually saw movement this past week on Senate Bill 714. This bill has been around for a while. Many of our members may remember it from February. It was introduced by Senator Victory. And the intention of this bill was to streamline the process to secure permitting to do minor projects um, related to shoreline erosion. So especially for our residents, this is really important for folks who maybe saw water encroaching on their land. They wanted to build a seawall or some sort of other structure. And in order to do that, they need to go through the appropriate permitting processes which included you know, connecting with Eagle, connecting with Army Corps of Engineers. And so 
just a little bit of perspective here. Annually, Eagle goes through probably around a couple hundred permits each year related to high waters. In this past year, they've done over 2,900. So we're looking at a lot of people who've experienced shoreline erosion right on their properties. They're mm -hmm. looking to do remediation work and they wanna get that started quickly. And so the original intention of this bill was to allow a streamlined process where folks could apply and then go ahead and commence the projects that they wanted to work on. And we had concerns not only from Eagle, but also from our member communities is that for the uh, purpose of, you know, we can't just create structures that without having the full guidance and understanding of what that's going to do environmentally to an area, you know, where that might push more water and cause more damage to other structures further down the waterways. And a lot of conversations around just making sure that when we do these big changes, we're doing so in a responsible manner. And so throughout the summer, there's been lots of collaboration with both the bill sponsor and Eagle to identify a way where we can definitely address um, how we need these permits quickly, but we can also do it in a way that's environmentally responsible. And so we came back to House Natural Resources last week with a bill that was supported by the department, supported by the, the sponsor and had the intention that they wanted going forward. We were able to streamline both the application process and the process, processing process. So that now it'll take 14 days for your application to be reviewed, 28 days for it to be processed, and then you'll be able to commence your minor project and get those things started. So significantly cutting down the time frame it takes for folks to wait and get that permit and get it in their hands. And also we're doing these construction projects in a way that is in line with the current existing process that Eagle has already. And it's also adding to it in the sense of being able to get your Eagle permits and your Army Corps of Engineer permits all at one time in a one-stop shop. And I'll add on to that, Matt. I think certainly as we move into this next budget period here, um, and the governor will be announcing a budget sometime in February, depending on what happens uh, with the state's revenue picture, certainly the, the, the issues we were talking about this last year before COVID hit with regard to providing funding and, and assistance for communities with uh, specific public infrastructure at risk because of high waters, we will continue to pursue that and be pushed for, push for dollars in that, in that arena, again, as long as the budget situation allows for it. Okay. All right. So I did get one question here. I'm not sure who goes to. Has the Restaurant Association reached out to the League for Support of Indoor Dining? So uh, we've been working with the Restaurant Association throughout um, the pandemic on how, you know, uh, municipalities can help support um, that industry. Um, and so specifically, you know, within this three week pause, um, no, but I think that's because other things we've been working on, um, those of you that saw the grant uh, announcement a few weeks ago through the Small um, Business Association of Michigan um, with social districts and outdoor uh, common areas where municipalities were able to um, get reimbursed for some of those costs. Um, that was something that we had been talking with the Restaurant Association with um, and how to, to shape and scope that. And then last week there was announcement by the MED um, of a small business uh, grant program through uh, CARES dollars through their CDBG allocation. Um, and that grant application opens on de December 5th. And that's something that we are also working on um, to help assist uh, small businesses that have been affected um, through this last three week pause. Um, and so you'll be seeing a lot more information on that um, here in, in the short. Um, quickly, there'll be more, but your small businesses, if you haven't seen, um, Chris just put a link or someone just put a link in there, yeah. um, that grant application opens on December 15th. Yep. 
Yes, uh, that's going to be a big deal. Um, we'll have a lot more to announce on that later this week, uh, we hope. So uh, talk a little bit about the lame duck schedule, but also, Chris, uh, what's going on in D.C.? You know, there has been a lot of talk about, uh, Chris and John, about um, a, the a next stimulus package. It seems like there was a bipartisan committee that got together and came up with a plan. What's the uh, what's the word on that? So I think, you know, you with with a lot of the the shakeout of the election and and you know some of the leaders on both sides talking about the need for stimulus as soon as possible with with dollars running out at the end of this year uh, you saw some renewed momentum uh this last week we did hear that the, the president said if there's a deal that legislative leadership comes together with he would sign it um so i think what we saw is the that problem solvers caucus that 908 billion dollar proposal as kind of a, a good middle ground, uh, the Democrats said in the House said that they would support uh, something of that level as an interim step. That's a, it was a big concession down from their original $3 trillion proposal. Uh, and so now the conversation is how to get the, the Senate Republicans up from their $500 billion proposal to that. Um, you, know, you had a, a bipartisan group of uh, Republicans and Democrats in the House and the Senate create that $908 billion proposal. It would entail about $160 billion for states and local governments. Uh, that is something that had been left out of any of the Senate Republican proposals up until this point. So I think that's been one of the major negotiation points, major sticking points in getting a deal done is, will there be state and local funding and how much? Um, I think we feel cautiously optimistic again. I hate to say that since we've been saying it, John, for how many months now? Uh, yeah. but. Uh, you know, cautiously optimistic that there is a, a major recognition, one, that, that COVID continues to surge across the country. Uh, this problem still exists, and we have a December 31st deadline hitting on, on spending of the, the, the previous dollars, and, you know, having some of these benefits that will run out. Um, so I think, you know, we're seeing some movement. Um, cautiously optimistic, I've got fingers and toes crossed, um, but, you know, it certainly looks right now at this point that there will be some new federal stimulus money flowing uh, hopefully very soon. And, and John, one of the things we were calling for is, you know, direct next stimulus package have direct funding that would benefit local communities. Does this plan as currently is being floated do that? I think um, we are in a to be determined stage okay. uh, right now. Uh, I mean, it, it is it is so fluid. I mean, I mean, when we think about how the state puts together uh, a budget of about $60 billion, um, you know, they're working on a roughly trillion dollar package that's coming together in about four days. So, I, you know, the, the, the fact that it's so fluid is, is hard to just say whether or not that, that that's going to be the case. So I don't want to get ahead of myself there. I can tell you, though, without a doubt, um, our advocacy, and I know what Chris and, and I have been talking about, and what the National League of Cities has been talking about is to continue uh, that uh, very direct access to funds for members of all size for us. So we'll continue to, to be on that, continue to talk about those things. Uh, but what happens uh, in the back room of Lansing is sometimes unknown to us. What happens in the back room in DC is sometimes completely unknown to us. But I can tell you, we continue to, to maintain uh, conversations that are ongoing and continue to try and support that effort. Well, to that end, Matt, I mean, we were on uh, a call this last week, uh, Congresswoman Slotkin uh, was part of that announcement of the, the $908 million compromise proposal. Uh, we were on a briefing call with her and a number of other municipal leaders throughout her district, 
Uh, we've had multiple contacts with National League of Cities over the last four days. As John mentions, it's coming together quickly, but NLC is very directly involved in these conversations with the uh, Trump administration and with legislative leadership. So, um, you know, we, we are sharing our concerns and, and our suggestions with NLC and they're bringing those up as well. So we're kind of hitting things from as many fronts as we can. And certainly the members on the call today, if you have contact with your, your congressman and congresswoman, please reach out and let them know the importance of this. We've, we've heard from some of our members of our delegation that they don't feel there's a need for, for aid, uh, for additional federal stimulus. Uh, nothing could be further from the truth, especially as we start moving into, into this, this next year and the potential for losses. Again, that long tail of recession that will hit local government. Uh, it's important for those members of Congress to realize the importance of, of getting some aid out, especially to state and locals. Yes, for sure. A lot of a lot of need out there. Uh, no question. A lot of people are, are really struggling right now. Um, so uh, any other questions or anything, Betsy, that I need to uh, bring up that I may be on Facebook that I haven't seen? Um, nope, I think other... you covered everything. Okay. So we will be back. We're doing a string of uh, Monday morning lives every week. We usually go every other week, but because of the lame duck session, lame duck session, uh, we're going every week. So we did last week, today, and then we do have another one scheduled for noon on um, uh, Monday, February or February, December fourteenth. I'm jumping ahead. I want this year to be over, I guess. Um, so we do have a, another uh, Monday morning live scheduled for next Monday. Uh, feel free to send us any questions you have to our team in advance for that discussion. Um, and then uh, that's the big thing coming up. So we're going to be busy this week. Please stay tuned to Inside 208. Subscribe to that blog so you can get the latest updates. Chris is nodding as I think that's what he was going to say. Uh, to get the latest on that, like I said, Chris has posted that one blog. It's got like 30 different bills that we're following. So a lot of stuff going on, happening fast. So that's the best way to get the most timely information. Chris, did you have something else you wanted to add besides that? Uh, no, I was just gonna say that's exactly right. Throughout this week, as again, as I mentioned, this will be the last week that bills in the first chamber can get action. So uh, Harisana and Jen and John and I will be posting a lot of a lot of content this week. So please uh, stay tuned to your inbox. Make sure you check your uh, check your spam filter. Uh, I know John stuff ends up there usually for me. Um, but, uh, you know, folks, you know, stay, stay in touch this week. We appreciate all of your engagement so far. It really does make a difference. Uh, I've been getting copied. I know other folks on the team here have been getting copied as members are sending letters and sending emails into their, to their state rep or their state senator. That is really important. And we truly appreciate that. Thank you so much. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, that wraps up today's discussion. Thank you everyone for, for talking. It was a good, uh, good discussion until next week. We'll talk to everybody then. Thank you. This has been a production of the Michigan Municipal League. For more information on our programs and services, please visit www.mnl.org and join us for the next episode of We Love Where You Live.